Hello, you're listening to The Gridiron Show and coming up on our week two review to Hall of Famers go down injured, trades happening galore with defensive backs and it's still 10 teams undefeated. Stunner, this is The Gridiron Show. Hi, thank you for listening to the Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, Ollie Hunter, with me. Ollie, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm all right. For once, I'm the one sat at home uh, in my pants. Maybe you uh, are got... too, but we're not at the same home, which is key. <laughs> is it? Yeah, Would I don't want to be sat. Want us to be in the same home? I mean, we could be, but then you know we're both in our pants. So yeah, fuck it. Why not? Whoops, forgot. Uh, <laughs> good start. Good start, yeah, buddy. Yeah. I think people like the idea that the two of us are like Bert and Ernie, like we're just sat around sharing a bed, a completely platonic, obviously, as it was with Bert and Ernie, I think. But yeah, <laughs> as it was with you approach. and Sherry in, in, uh, on your latest trip. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's what people are looking for. Um, I think so. We've got a, we'll be talking about on the show today, we're talking about the impact for, for Drew Brees, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, although... Uh, they've since made a decision regarding Dolphin safety Minka Fitzpatrick, which indicates they're going in the direction opposite to what I maybe would have expected. We'll talk about Sunday and Monday's games as well. Uh, it's first review show of the season. Ollie Hunter, you hyped? I mean, I've, I've obviously heard uh, your first review of the season. I think we should follow that format. Fantastic show. But yeah, my first one. So I, thankfully, I managed to watch all the games. I'm, I'm exceptionally hyped about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm raring to go. Yeah, we'll do a nice quick ping around of the Sunday games. One quick thought on each of those games, uh, on each of the teams, at least, in each of those games. But let's start off with the two big bits of news from the weekend. Maybe three, uh, if you get into the Steelers a bit further. The Pittsburgh Steelers go down on Sunday evening to, uh, the, uh, to the Seattle Seahawks, who continue to prove me absolutely wrong in my defiance that they are an average team. Thank you, Russell Wilson. Um, but the, uh, the Steelers, they go down a loss to uh why can't i find it why is it not coming up for me what's going on here why is the internet doing this to me? it was 28 26 to the seattle seahawks wasn't it it was indeed but ben roethlisberger exited the game right before halftime with a right elbow injury it's since been confirmed he's going to require season-ending surgery now he's just committed his future to the team this past uh, off-season three years taking him right up until his year 40 season um I'll be honest, my initial reaction after we had the nonsense of Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown last season, we had Ben Roethlisberger doing his radio show, talking contradictory. Contradictory. (laughs) Contradictory, Lee, but it's not just... To the contrary of his head coach, Mike (laughs) Tomlin. Um, uh, Throughout the season, like I was not impressed in any way with his leadership on that team. And whilst I was kind of excited for the Steelers coming into the season, I think without Big Ben, they are not in any way a contender. Even with that young, exciting defence. My first reaction was, right, here's what you want to do. You want to do an Indianapolis Colts. You want to except that your ageing quarterback who's done you brilliantly over the years, brought you a couple of championships, is done. He doesn't seem to be a great locker room influence. That's not the same for Peyton Manning, obviously. But the Colts went and got Andrew Luck. We'll ignore what happened six years later, but it was the right decision at the time. 
If I was the Steelers, I was thinking to myself, outside of the Miami home game, why not, you know, concentrate on finding your quarterback of the future, rebuilding beyond this season, except that this season it's going to be tough. I mean, Mason Rudolph came in and didn't play badly at all. Finished with 12 of 1,912 yards, two touchdowns and a pick, uh, but couldn't take his team to victory against the Seahawks team, who again were relying on big plays and defensively didn't look strong. And then two days later... They go and trade a first-round pick, basically, and some swaps of some fourth and seventh and fifths and sixths and everything else to the Miami Dolphins to get Minka Fitzpatrick. Now, I love Minka Fitzpatrick. I think his scheme flexibility will be fast, f- fascinating in that Steelers defense, which seems to have gone more man this season, moving away from its classic zone. But it just, it just made me go, well, you've now just given up the first-round pick when who knows what state your franchise quarterback is going to be in when he comes back. Yeah, it, it, a bizarre decision, especially when you start 0-2 as well. And the likelihood of you picking in that first 1-5, to 5-10 to 10 bracket is really high. And when you've got a few quarterbacks, Simon Clancy, College Football Podcast, listen to it later on this week, will tell you that there are some more than serviceable quarterbacks likely to come out this season. It seems a weird one. Um, maybe they're thinking... Trevor Lawrence next year, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I do like Mike Mink Fitzpatrick, but have they not overpaid a little bit for him? Uh, no, I think he is worth first round pick. I like, actually, he's yeah. still got a couple of years left on that rookie contract, so you get him cheap for that time. I think a team would have given up a first round pick for him. I wouldn't have been disappointed if the 49ers had done just that, even though their defense has looked better this season so far you know that's the kind of he is a a game-changing player in theory only in his second year I think there are a huge number of contenders who could have really who could really done with him and had Big Ben not gone down this weekend I'd be coming on here going wow what a phenomenal trade Mm. I just can't get behind it considering the considering the injury and considering what that does to their season you know maybe Mason Rudolph will um will prove me entirely wrong and uh, and we'll end up with a, with a Steelers team willing to rival the New England Patriots. Um, let's talk about the other the big injury that happened then. Drew Brees goes down for the New Orleans Saints. The Saints, uh, again, I mean, the NFC South started, started off this season a bit of a dumpster fire. Uh, the Saints go down 27-9 to the Rams. There's another claim for the officials uh, screwing them oh. over a little bit in the first half, but... You'd argue with Drew Brees going down, maybe they wouldn't have won this game anyway. But Brees goes down. He's going to be out for six weeks now. And sometimes you look at that and you say, well, in a division that so far hasn't impressed in the NFC South, maybe losing Brees for six weeks isn't the end of the world. As long as he comes back, there's that horrible shot of him trying to grab the ball on the sideline that the cameras yeah. um, that was just, just showed the kind of pain he was in. But we look at the teams they've got coming up. The Saints have got to face the Seahawks, the Cowboys, all right, the Bucks, the Jags, the Bears, and the Cardinals over that six-week stretch that Drew Brees apparently out for. Cardinals, who despite being you know a team that a lot of people don't fancy to do much this season, have had a much improved pass rush. Maybe outside of the Buccaneers, you've got potentially four to five elite defenses there that you've got to go up against in that time. Are you going safe game manager Teddy Bridgewater or are you rolling the Taysom Hill dice, Ollie? 
I think they'll end up rolling with the... No, I think they'll go with Teddy Bridgewater for the first two or three. Behind the scenes, they'll be working with Taysom Hill. Because when, Taysom, when Teddy came into the game, Taysom Hill was lining up as a wide receiver, the slot guy, as a, a man on the end, as a tight end, as a running back. But he didn't line up as a quarterback. So it looks like that he's being despite having a quarterback number, he's being used as that, I hate it, that gadget play, that Swiss Army knife guy. I hate the, all of those terms. But he isn't a quarterback. He's not been practicing as a quarterback, it seems like, from watching the, the first two games of the season with the Saints. So I think you see how Teddy does in the first two, three weeks and... I think that could be three losses because I don't rate Teddy Bridgewater as a quarterback. And then, right, let's let's uh, let's roll the dice with Taysom Hill. They've, they're on a shot to nothing. They've got nothing to lose, especially if they go zero and three in the next three weeks. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I believe that Bridgewater is. We know what he is at this point. Defenses don't know what to expect with Taysom Hill. If you think you've got enough time to get him in place ahead of the Seahawks game this weekend, I do it. I just get him into that offense. You get that kind of Lamar Jackson, uh, early Colin Kaepernick. I'm not comparing those two players necessarily, but guys who might not be an all-round pocket passer but have something a bit different about them. And so one of their real benefits is when mm. people don't have a lot of film on them. It's very difficult to game plan for them with these kind of highly coached defenses. I, I just and I just think it'd be more fun. Just more fun for the NFL. Let's have yeah. some fun. It would be so much more fun. He is so exciting to watch. But well, Sean Payton has sensible. Sean Payton has a, a reputation of being quite cavalier with play calling and trick plays in, in on the big occasion and things like that. Is he going to be Cavalier at the start of the season at one-on-one when Teddy Bridgewater, they seem to have a bit of faith in? I, I don't think so. But given two, three weeks down the stretch of this uh, of this Drew Brees injury, then perhaps they may do. What did you make of that, um, of of the the non-call, the, the blowing of the whistle halfway through Cam Jordan's run, run back? Just, uh, I just... The one thing I can't stand more than anything else when it comes to officiating is if you know that you've got replay available to you, let it play out. As long as you're not putting anyone in danger by doing that, let it play out. Let him get to the end zone. Let him get the touchdown. Call it a touchdown. Then review the scoring play. It wouldn't have hurt anyone. It would have taken 30 30 seconds, 90 seconds max to realize that it was indeed a fumble. And look, the Saints would have gone, what, 10-3 up at that point if they'd scored the extra point. Instead, they find themselves go 6-3 down on that drive. That's a 10-point swing. That's nothing small. No one knows what, what would have happened beyond that. Like I said, Breeze going down. The Rams dominated at the line of scrimmage. Cooper Cup being back was big for them. I was really, really pleased for the Rams with their performance this weekend. But that one play might have changed how the rest of the game... Like, the branch timeline to go down the uh, the Marvel route with it, the branch timeline that would have come off from that touchdown going down would have seen everything, everything be different. So that's what frustrates me. And it was, wasn't was like it was one of these first or second. We've got a lot of new officials in the NFL at the moment. This guy, uh, is, it was Walt, wasn't it? He's, he's been in the league for 15 years. He shouldn't have made that kind of mistake. It was poor. 
It was a um, massive, massive arrogance. I thought from the referees, disgusting oh. arrogance. We know we've got that that decision one hundred percent right. And then it's, I think, also it's a nonsense rule that the ball is then given to the the Saints where the the fumble was picked up. Nonsense rule that has to be looked at. Give it on the forty or in the red or, or on the twenty at the red zone because the absolute nonsense. Nothing was stopping Cam Jordan then. It's a disgusting rule. Should have just given the touchdown. Just said. They, well, should, yeah, they should have. Should have been like that. a. Should have been like a penalty try. All right, let's give the touchdown. Um, yeah. do, let me ask you about two games from this weekend and what you made of the uh, the decisions at the end of the game. Um, one was the most exciting end to a game we had this weekend, even though the previous three and a half quarters were dross. The Chicago Bears, Denver, 16 to 14 win over the Denver Broncos. The other one, the Texans, 13 to 12 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Two head coaches going for two at the end of the game to attempt to win it. What did you make of each of these cases? Was it the right decision? Should a coach be doing this so early in the season? I quite like the decision uh, on times. both of them. I, I, the execution on the Jaguars one was poor. Don't give it to Leonard Fournette. Gardner Minshew's just helped you get the ball into the end zone through the air. He's he's looking good. Um, run that same and, play. And, or, and, or, and he's getting hot as well. This was my thing with Minshew. Exactly. He's had three quarters where he wasn't looking great. He's suddenly the hot hand. Who knows if that's going to last into overtime. Plus... For all those whinging, let's not forget that they're Thursday night football this week against the Titans. You know, nobody wants overtime when you've only got a three, four day turnaround yeah. before another game. 100%. 100%. And it, this early on in the season, I can see from a head coach's point of view, do you know what? We can, we can try and make that up. We've got time to make that up. Almost come the end of the season... The, the, your, your time is running out and you don't want to, it, it's more of a bigger decision. It's more of a, I think often you see people, teams going for it on fourth and whatever earlier on in the year, especially if, um, especially if their, their records are kind of close together, you know, they're, they're zero and one or one and one or whatever. Um, whereas at the end of the season, when the stakes are higher, you don't, you don't want to lose ground or you don't want to give up ground. When it came to the Denver Broncos, Chicago Bears game, again, absolutely the correct decision. There was 30 seconds or so left on the clock once the two-point conversion had, had been converted. The, the way that they got there was was pretty ludicrous. Um, there was a, a delay of game penalty, which brought the ball back, so which meant that the the... Denver Broncos had to kick the the extra point to take it to to um to overtime. They then missed that extra point, but there was a running into the kicker, which then they could that allowed to move the ball back to the one yard line, which then decided they could go for two. They got the two, but then Mitch Trubisky did something that I thought he wasn't capable of, and I thought the Denver Broncos probably thought he wasn't capable of it either, which is get the ball quickly down the field and. They did have time. It was Alan Robinson who who got down to the ground properly with one second left. Trubisky took, calls the timeout, and then Eddie Pinheiro Jr. managed to punch the ball in. Great, great moment for the Bears. Yeah, unfortunately, two two, two big moments of officiating there, which I'm going to 
give with one hand and take from the other. Absolutely the right decision to say that the Bears called the timeout in time. If you watch the replay back, he hits the ground at one second and you know that the intention is going to be for them to take the timeout. So just let them have it. Doesn't matter what like point the tip of the fingers touched the palm for the timeout. None of that matters. You know, you should almost be able to call a timeout before the play. Turn around and say to them, if this yeah. is completed pass, timeout taken. So that the moment the player is touched on the ground, that's it. Play over. Yeah. But but the roughing the passer was dreadful. And it was not the only one in that game. There were a couple of them in that game. There were a few of them around the league this weekend. The landing on the player thing, which I thought we'd got away a bit from towards the end of last season, reared its ugly head. I get that they are meant to be protecting the quarterbacks, but PI is now reviewable, seemingly incorrectly, but that is not reviewable. And personal foul penalties need to be reviewable more than PI does because... Sometimes they are some dreadful, dreadful, dreadful calls. Remember that we also had in this. We also had in this game. Sorry, will uh, a play being called dead, whistled dead before it should have been? Kyle Fuller interception on Emmanuel Sand- Sanders. It, actually, in real time, I thought the knee was down. On replay, it wasn't. But I, I'm looking at it from a TV screen where the the, the camera is is. 100, 100 yards or so away from the plate. There's a sideline judge. There's a sideline judge right there who has missed that call. That could have been a Bears touchdown, a Bears pick six, and we wouldn't have had this charade at the end of the game anyway. The um, the irony of the going for two question here is that actually if the Broncos had kicked the extra point, um, the, the the Bears probably would have settled for overtime and not, not yeah. gone for it in the way that they did. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think it was the right decision as well, but it, it ended up costing them in a weird way. Um, the uh, There are plenty of other games that we need to kind of tuck into from this weekend, but we mentioned the Jags game there. Jalen Ramsey got into it on the sideline with Doug Marone. He's turned around. He's asked for a trade. The Jags apparently looking for at least a first-round pick, but are actually expecting more. The difference between Ramsey and Fitzpatrick is while Ramsey has more proof that he is a top-tier player, he also comes to the end of his rookie deal at the end of this year. So you have to give up a lot to get him and you have to pay him he's probably going to be looking for quarterback money at cornerback you're probably going to be talking about a contract of five or six years at a hundred million dollars plus so whoever I, I haven't been able to I was having a little look this morning there are teams who could definitely do with Jalen Ramsey but are there teams that are going to be willing to pay what they want for him in picks and pay him considering. I, I think that's going to be a tougher trade partner to find than it was for Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I agree with you there. The, the, the time left on his rookie deal and the amount that the Jags want him is going to be a massive hindrance. There are teams, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the, the Green Bay game in a bit, but Raven Green placed an IR um, after he took a, a pretty heavy knock in that game that leaves a little bit of a hole at cornerback Jair Alexander I haven't been that impressed with um I think he's he's been picked on and he's given up some big plays there was one particular play the the Stefan Diggs bomb from Kirk Cousins where it looks like it's going into Alexander's hands and he just fluffs it he muffs it and Stefan Diggs scores that big touchdown they get it back into the game um so I think Jair I think uh Jalen Ramsey would be an upgrade, but you're talking again about, is he the right kind of guy that you want in your locker room? He's going to 
question the coach um, for not calling a, a PI against DeAndre Hopkins on him. Now, if every single player did that, there would be people falling out with uh, with head coaches all the time. It just seems that bloody um, Jalen Ramsey seems to do it far more than anybody else. He's exactly the sort of player that if they hadn't already gone and got Stefan Gilmore and paid him big money, would have ended up with the terrible human yeah. beings in New England and they would have reformed him and it would have all been fine. Which, all right, I was going to take a break and then talk about the other games. But let's talk about New England quickly because Antonio Brown has had serious sexual assault allegations against him. The league are meeting with his accuser today as we're recording on Tuesday morning. It might be by the time you listen to this, we know that the, what the league are going to do, but he could still end up on the commissioner's exempt list by the end of today, right? Hmm. You go into the game, you decide to play him anyway, even though you clearly don't need him because you're playing a Miami Dolphins team who, if Tua ends up at the Miami Dolphins with the first overall pick, he's going to be joining a worse team than he's playing for in Alabama because Alabama are a better team playing in college than the Dolphins are playing in the NFL. I tweeted that last week. That's incredible. They are. I love that. They They are playing a terrible team with a bunch of receivers who'd had a brilliant game against the Steelers last week. Clearly, they have field-stretching ability in the likes of Josh Gordon and Philip Dorsett. They didn't need Antonio Brown. And yet they come into this game and they target him with the first three passes, as if to say, we don't care what you think of us. We're going to use him. We don't care. Look at us. We got Antonio Brown. I thought they should have not put him into this game. I thought they should have taken... He should have been an inactive, a healthy scratch until the NFL had spoken with his accuser. I think from a New England Patriots position, as much as we like to like rag on the fact that, oh, isn't it boring that they win all the time or whatever, I've really appreciated and loved what they've done over the years in terms of appreciating sporting greatness. But this left a horrendous taste in the mouth. I didn't like it at all from a Brown perspective, from a Patriots perspective. And honestly, there's part of me that hopes he gets suspended until the end of the season now and they have to pay £9 million, sorry, $9 million for four catches and one touchdown. Do you think there's a case of um, the NFL allowing the Patriots to play him and not putting him on any exempt list, yada, yada, yada? Do you think that's because the NFL are... Not frightened, but wary of how they treat the Patriots and their reaction towards the NFL, the Patriots' reaction towards the NFL ever since Deflategate. I think without meeting with the accuser first, it would have been rash to have put him on the exempt list. I don't think the fact that he was at the Patriots did have a fact on that. And she's only brought a civil case. It's not a criminal case. So had it been a criminal case, I would have expected them to put him on the exempt list immediately forget about meeting with the accuser or anything like that because a police investigation would have been opened because it's a civil case I think the NFL are handling things in the right way I just think the Patriots could have showed a bit more class considering everything else that goes into this decision this week sorry buddy you just said Patriots and class there in the same sentence alright that was a mistake come on Uh, do you feel do you feel sorry for Miami and Miami fans by the way um no no, me either. Is that bad? Me either. No, they're doing it on purpose. And do you know what? I think it may end up biting them in the ass. In the behind. Right, let's take yeah. a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about the rest of Sunday's games. And we might even talk a little bit about Monday Night Football, even though it was a stinker in New York. 
You're listening to The Gridiron Show, Will Gavin, Ollie Hunter. We've gone over the kind of big news and big talking points of the weekend. But let's give our one big thought on each of the teams playing through Sunday and Monday. Uh, should we start off with Monday Night Football? Yeah, let's get it out of the way. The Browns beat the Jets 23-3. to Odo Beckham Jr. has a couple of amazing, ridiculous plays in this game. Um, the big takeaway for me from a Browns perspective, though, was that their pass rush looked superb. And I know that the Jets were Sam Darnold and then Luke... Uh, sorry, Trevor Simeon and then Luke Falk, which your pass rush has helped if they're having to slow down the whole offence. But after a week where they'd been really controlled in the trenches against the Titans, it was nice to see them turning that around. I think, you know, the Browns will be feeling pretty positive. Yeah, you mentioned the pass rush. Miles Garrett had a day, three sacks, five total tackles, um, he looks like, I mean, it's early doors this season, but it looks like he is starting to fulfill some of the promise that he showed and has been stuttered and stalted by injuries over the first two or three years of his career. I thought that, um, that Baker Mayfield looked, looked okay. Um, not as worryful as, um, as the first game against the Titans. So I think some positives there from the Browns. From a Jets point of view, just a, a sickener for Trevor Simeon to go down with, looks like it could be a broken ankle, Garrett falling on him after a pass was made. But Le'Veon Bell looks okay. Roby Anderson, decent, but, it, you know, it could, you could... It could almost be between them and the Dol- no, the Dolphins are the worst team I've ever seen. But oh yeah, and you're and you're ignoring the Giants as well. Yeah, and I'm ignoring the Giants as well. So not going to yeah, be a I- lot of joy in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Um, the um, uh, the yeah from a just Le'Veon Bell just very quickly on Bell. I was looking at him thinking, wow, since Simeon's gone down, they've let on him massively, and he looks right up to his best and then he fumbled the ball and I was like ah okay uh, ball protection <laughs> yeah. buddy otherwise he was brilliant outside of the fumble very jetsy uh, going to the Sunday games and actually let's stay in New Jersey because the Bills go on the road and the New York's only team as they actually play in New York State uh, have gone there and beaten the Jets and the Giants in back to back weeks Josh Allen had a much better game and again in the trenches, they look really good. I just don't know whether they've just managed to beat two bad teams and we're going to be talking about, you know, a two and five team in five weeks' time. Yeah, the, the Bills are a bit of an enigma because you don't know how good they are because of the, the two New York, New York teams that they've played. I thought the character they showed in the first week to beat the Jets and come back against the Jets maybe points to the, their true self over this game against the Giants. Look, what my big one takeaway is, why are you still running? And I love the man, you know, friend of mine, a personal friend of mine, not yours, Will, but mine, Frank Gore. When Devin Singletree looks superb, he had a touchdown, he's averaging nine and a half yards last week. Give him the ball. Frank Gore, I know he's your, yeah, your cowbell. But you're I know he's the Giants. You're playing the Giants. Yeah, but you are playing the Giants. Okay, okay, okay. Um, the Giants' offense looked dross. 
Saquon Barkley had a good game and absolutely tore the Bills apart at the beginning of the game. The Eli Manning on the next four drives managed to throw for zero yards, ended up with 4.8 yards per attempt. Dreadful rubbish. We're moving on. I hope they move on to Daniel Jones this week. Uh, let's talk about from the other games at that period. Let's go for... Uh, there were 10 the- of them. Yeah, there were two, so many of them, so many of them. And yet, for some reason, my eye has been drawn to a nine o'clock game. I'm kind of working my way back up uh, for some reason at this point. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, in one quarter, had four touchdowns and 278 yards. They didn't do anything in the second half, but basically it felt like they took their foot off the gas. Chiefs beat the Raiders 28 to 10. I just think this is two teams who are what we thought they were. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Do you know what I was at? Um, I was at Spurs on Saturday and watched Spurs smash Palace in about the first thirty minutes, thirty-five minutes. They they did what Mahomes did: four scores, four four goals, four touchdowns, and then in the second half, there was a bit of endeavour, a little bit, but the game had gone, and that was this game. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs in that second quarter looked just ridiculous. Um, Demarcus Robinson, who's come in for Tyreek Hill, just making amazing catches. So if you once you get Tyreek Hill back and you add to Demarcus Robinson, Travis Kelsey had himself a day. Sammy Watkins was slightly quieter. This Kansas City Chiefs is exactly what we thought it would be. And that is legitimately brilliant to watch. I don't care about the Oakland Raiders. (laughs) the San Francisco 49ers 41 the Cincinnati Bengals 17 the 49ers went 0-8 on the road last year they've now gone 2-0 on the road to start the season first week was all about that defense while the offense struggled this week they managed to put up 572 total yards, 27 first downs, five touchdowns scored. The run game looked good. Jimmy G looked good. The receivers were getting open and the young receivers seemed to be adapting to that, uh, seemed to be adapting to that Carl Shanahan offense. The pass rush looked great. D Ford, Nick Bosa, Kwon Alexander looked really good. DeForest Buckner and Solomon Thomas both got a sack. You know, I'm, I want to see the 49ers play a good team. That's obviously going to be a test. But two weeks in, this is the most positive I've felt about the Niners in a while. Oh, buddy. I'm so pleased for you. I really am. Um, you they know, look- people don't, don't realise, because they think of the 49ers as this five Super Bowl franchise, that since the turn of the millennium, the teams with the least wins in the NFL are the Browns, the Jets... Mm-hmm. And then the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. So you've had a lean period. I know it's, it's, it's kind been, of... Uh, I'm not a man used to having a lean period at any point in my life. But <laughs> the 49ers, it's been lean. <laughs> it's been very lean. Look, the, the, the offense looks legit. The run defense, looking at the box score here, uh, Joe Mixon, stuffing Joe Mixon. All right, it was 11 carries just for 17 yards. And you, you're looking at... The Bengals have to sling the ball, given that they go. They went down pretty heavily in that first half, and then conceded ten points in that third quarter. So they've got to got to throw the ball. But um, the 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 defense looking much better, and I think you can say, you know, I, I want us to play a decent team. The, the Bengals on offense, especially without AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, and John Ross both going over for hundred yards, they're moving the ball through the air nicely, and I like your 
your secondary. I like your defense in in that respect. So, look, I think this is a big statement win. Love the rushing, um, the rushing call there, the, the the running call there. Because look, Breeder and Mozart and Wilson coming in, you've got Tevin Coleman now. You've got. Um, uh, Jared McKinnon out. So those are the two guys that would be ahead of those other three guys on the on the depth chart. It's um, I think you have great cause to be excited. And if I'm a Bengals fan, all right, you got blown away on the day by a better team. You may not be that bad again this year, this season. So I am. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I actually I gave the stats for the wrong period. I will apologise for that. Now I gave the stats. Uh, for the wrong period of time, we were one of the bottom three or four. But actually, if you go back to 2000, I'll credit the teams with worse than us. There are a few more. The Cardinals, the Buccaneers, the Texans, the Bills, and of course, the Raiders and Lions. Can't forget the Raiders and Lions. Never forget really that. bad in that time. But they're still bottom seven or eight, so uh, I'm, I'm taking it as a reason to be positive. As you should. From a perspective, you know, uh, John Ross, hot. Tyler Boyd made some plays outside of that. Not a great performance from them. I still think there's reasons to be cheerful, but maybe not as many as there were last week. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens beat the Arizona Cardinals 23-17. Lamar Jackson just unbelievable on the ground. 120 yards on the ground. 24 for 37 through the air for 272 yards and two touchdowns. Um, you know, actually, the Cardinals did stay in this game a long time. Some good pass rush, continued to get at them a little bit. And it's the fact that Lamar Jackson kept making plays that kept the Ravens ahead here. So, you know, okay, the Cardinals didn't get it done in the red zone. Way too many field goals, but definitely signs to be more positive than we had from them seven days earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Again, they can't get anything going on the ground. Um, I, I don't know why David Johnson isn't being used more. It's a really frustrating from a fantasy football owner point of view. Hey, but no he, got, he got a touchdown, which saved my week. I go five <laughs> for five in fantasy this week, feeling pretty smug. <laughs> well, good for you, pal. I lost by 0.4 in our Talk Sport League. Oh. It's, uh, and gutting, absolutely gutting. Um, look, the Cardinals on defense, they looked slightly better. <laughs> on offense, they looked slightly better. But it's for me, this game is all about the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson is quite quickly becoming the third or fourth most exciting player to watch in the NFL. And I'm including Pat Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers here. And Lamar Jackson, the, the way he ran the ball, a big statement from the Baltimore Ravens after barely running it last week. He goes for 120 yards. The, some of the passes he's making, darts, touch, um, poise, precision. I'm loving this fella. I knew, Watching him in Louisville a couple of years ago on co- in college, I knew he'd be a, a a bona fide and viable NFL quarterback. And so far through these first two weeks, he's absolutely looking like it. The Colts beat the Texans, nine Texans, the Tennessee Titans, sorry, 1917. Marcus Mariota on third downs was one for 10. He just couldn't convert, couldn't get rid of the ball, sacked four times for the second game in a row. The Titans offense, I think is still something to be concerned about. 
Um, Jacoby Brissett struggled a little bit, two turnovers, three sacks, but they pulled off a win, a good Indianapolis Colts defense. The AFC South may end up being very close, not because we've got four good teams, but because we've got four bang average teams. So uh, I I honestly don't think there's much more to say about that game, unless you had anything burning that you wanted to say. No, move on. Although Alan Vinatieri, what's going on with him? Well, he's going to play on. They're going to stick with him. They're going to stick with him this week. Um, I think if he has another nightmare this week, we could be seeing the end of Adam Vinatieri as a cult. No doubt he might end up elsewhere unless he decides to retire. The Lions get a 13 to 10 win over the Chargers. It wasn't a great week of quality football, was it? When you look at some of these games back, um, they were just. The Chargers had so many opportunities to win this game, uh, but it just didn't come together for them. Kicking woes, uh, problems on offense, miscues, sloppy plays. Uh, really good performance from the um, from the secondary and linebackers of the Lions, though I have to say. Uh, and so you know, coming out with with a, a slight but deserved win. Yeah, Kenny Golladay with a, a bit of a circus catch in one of his eight receptions for 117 yards. Um, he's a fantastic looking player. I mean, one of those guys, like a bit like Michael Gallup, who I think will continue to impress throughout the season. And we could be looking at top 15, top 10 wide receivers come the end of the year. Those two guys. Um, it was a bit, there was a bizarre decision from Philip Rivers to launch it to Keenan Allen um, in the end zone for trying to force it through, trying to trying to make a play. But Keenan Allen was, was double covered. One of them being Darius Slay, one of the best defensive backs in the league. Slay comes up with the, the pick and then that seems like it's the, the charges kind of road to winning the game gone. So, just a, a few b- bizarre decisions from the Chargers, but deserved in ultimately for the Detroit Lions and still unbeaten. Let's stay in the NFC North. Packers go one and one, as do the Minnesota Vikings. 21 to 16 win. Uh, I'll start off with the Vikings perspective of things. Dalvin Cook did his best to carry the offense, including that 75 yard touchdown where he blasted past Darnell Savage um, to cut the kind of early lead that the Packers had. He looked brilliant all game, but it was a really, really poor Kirk Cousins performance. Uh, Continuing to struggle in big games after we liked what he did under Kubiak the week before. The Vikings defense very much helped them back into the game, but they just couldn't close that early gap that was built up. What do you think from a Packers perspective? I mean, they started fast, went 21 nothing up. Rodgers making ridiculous throws, manoeuvring that offense down the field with precision. Aaron Jones looking good on the ground. Uh, everything looked great, 21 nothing. Rodgers was, I think, at one point, 10 for 12, over 100-and-something yards. He finished up 22 for 34. So that's, what's that? That's 50% passer, of passing in uh, completions. So I think I think Minnesota defense wise really showed up. They there was a, a, a huge forced fumble on Geronimo Allison by the incredible Harrison Smith. Uh, and Matt Sherry has to give me a, an article doing the best number 22s in the league. And it's still the worst idea you've ever come up with. It's uh, look, I think there's a clamor for it. 
And Harrison Smith, what a player. He had an incredible game. That Minnesota defense is really, really good. (laughs) I mean, we're not saying much there, but it is really, really good. And Green Bay, they just need to be able to put a whole, and this is a, this has been going on for years, but put a, a, a whole performance on offense throughout the game. And they haven't done that for years and years and years. They dropped off for whatever reason. Minnesota came I, I, up. I think, I think dropped off is an understatement, mate. I think they were awful after those first three drives outside of a really good Aaron Jones performance. Yeah. I, I, I think it was good to see LaFleur go for some balance between run and pass. But these were the possessions after the first three. Fumble, three and out, punt. Turnover and downs, punt. Fumble, punt, punt. Three and out, three and out, punt. You're just going, you know, you're at home, in division. You need one more score to make this game safe. It was frustrating to watch. Oh, and as a fan, it was really frustrating to watch. It was far more nervy than it should have been when you allow oh, a team I, to come back into it. And, and why am I we making even so many made... mistakes today, Ollie? The Packers have gone 2-0, and oh, not 1-1. One and one. I said 1-1 one and one at the beginning because I was looking at the Vikings record. This is the thing. You've played badly, but you've got two division wins to start the season. So who cares? Yep, yep I'll take it. I'll take it. There was also a, a really questionable refereeing call at, I think it was 21-16, uh, or it might have been 21-13. I think the, the Vikings had to settle for um, for a field goal where da- where Stefan Diggs scored a, what looked like an absolutely fine, legitimate touchdown, and there was a, a weird offensive PI call. It was marginal. If that was given against Green Bay, I would have got, I would have been livid. So uh, we're seeing we're seeing the referees getting more and more involved at the beginning of the year. That I, I'm pretty sure won't get called in five or six weeks' time. Two more games, two big NFC contenders to talk about. Uh, well, three, really, if you look include Sunday Night Football. But let's start off with the Dallas Cowboys. 31-21 win over Washington. Kellen Moore is going to be the head coach in Dallas within 18 months. <laughs> because they don't Ooh. like to let the good guys get out of the building. Uh, he topped the 30-point mark for a second straight week as they go 2-0. and oh. uh, The receivers were excellent against Washington's injury-ravaged secondary. Randall Cobb, Michael Gallup made Dak Prescott's job obviously a lot easier, but Devin Smith, 74 yards receiving, including that 51-yard touchdown bomb. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, ended up getting the game sorted with that 27-yard run on, on third and five, push him over the 100-yard mark. I just think... The strength of his roster and, and what they've done on the offensive side, they look like a properly well-put-together team this year. You feel like they might win the Super Bowl in spite of Jason Garrett rather than because of him. <laughs> you might see, the f- might see the first ever head coach fired after winning the Super Bowl just to keep Kellen Moore in town. Is that Prescott actually quite good? I'm so, my I, I my jury I think is he's still getting better. out on him. Yeah, the jury is still out on him for me because I think he has been previously. His, so here's the thing. Here's the positives on Dak Prescott. His game-winning drives and his performance in tight games late. The numbers are phenomenal. So it suggests that he's clutch to use the Americanism, and he's been brilliant these last two weeks. And it does feel like it's not just been the scheme that's made him brilliant. He's made the right decisions. And that, mm. for me, was always the problem with Dak Prescott, was decision-making under pressure wasn't actually as strong 
I, I, what I liked as well is that Kellamore's using him on more designed runs, which we weren't seeing under the previous offense. So we're actually seeing him use his legs outside of, you know, red zone or goal line opportunities. I, you know, my tables might be fully turning on Dak Prescott. I was, ne- I never disliked him. I always thought he was a little overhyped because some people talked about him as a franchise quarterback when I, when I didn't see him at that level. I saw him as like a mid-tier quarterback. I'm seeing him more and more as a guy who is who is into the top ten for this year and could keep going onwards and upwards. So, yeah, Washington are going to be tough to watch this year between the injuries, between the the struggles on on offense, between the injuries on defense, between the missing players with holdouts. I just I, I don't think they're a very good football team, unfortunately. Uh, let's do Sunday night football. It's the final game we've got to talk about. And I thought it was a barnstormer. The Falcons winning out 24-20 over the Eagles. Um, not un, uh, Maybe a little bit not unlike your game. Uh, a team tried desperately to get back into it. And the difference here being that Carson Wentz made some freak, unbelievable, brilliant plays, but just couldn't do enough to get it over the line. They were they were excellent in the second half. They were the better team in the second half, but they end up falling to one and one. Yeah, and you've got to feel for the Eagles because had Deshaun Jackson, Elshon Jeffrey maybe stayed in the game, but then, you know, Hollins and Arcega Whiteside come in and do okay. But had they been available throughout, then it could have been a different story. The Falcons were desperate for this win. Absolutely desperate. The way that offense was stuttering, not even stuttering, dreadful in the game um, up in Minnesota. They had to win this game and they did it. And I think from a Falcons point of view, that is the main thing. Get that Derbia on the board. Get that, get that, um, that, that, that win in the record column. Um, and and move on because all right Matt Ryan three interceptions but they got the win they got the win and that was the main thing for them uh, Nelson Aguilar who dropped that deep ball in stride that yeah would have won probably or maybe I mean the Falcons could have come back but that maybe could have won them the game he's going to be regretting that for for maybe the rest of his life at this point we'll see how the rest of the season goes uh, my only concern I have I think these are two good teams I'm really glad for the Falcons managed to bounce back after a rough week one showing my only concern for both these teams is the absolute lack of running game Miles Sanders nor Jordan Howers could help out Wentz particularly after that first half combining on 46 yards on 18 carries um, I liked Miles Sanders coming into this season I hope he gets more opportunities but yeah Right now, run game not strong for two teams who, for whom that, that was a po- real positive of their team on their, their respective NFC Championship runs. Yeah. Ollie, that rounds us off. Wonderful work, sir. Thursday Night Football this week sees the Jacksonville Jaguars go up against the Tennessee Titans. So we'll review that on Friday and preview the weekend's games. We'll also have another NFL 100 podcast coming for you uh, this week, uh, looking at one of the great rivals, the rivalries of the NFL with the big names involved in that rivalry. I'm trying to remember which game we're doing this weekend. I know we announced it on last week's pod, but uh, just having a look through, what game could it be? Was it? No, no, no. All right, I'll try and remember. And we'll come back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> honestly, I don't remember which game we're doing. Amazing. There are some really significant games in history this weekend. Packers, Broncos. Um, I think it's that. Is it that? 
Could it be that? But we're not doing the Packers again, surely. No, not oh, so soon. I, I think I know what we're doing. I think I know what we're doing. I think we're doing Cowboys Dolphins. Mm, topical, actually, at the moment. So, I mean, they're all topical at the moment. <laughs> Everyone's topical in the first four weeks of the season, mate. Yeah. Uh, and we'll yeah. have a college pod coming for you as well. Ollie, any final thoughts? No final thoughts. Have a lovely time on the South Coast. Wonderful. Well, thank you for listening. This has been The Gridiron Show. Hello, Gabby Logan here and I'm pitchside at Welland FC where Suki and his mate Simon have arranged a kickabout to fundraise for sport relief. It's 11.47 on a Sunday. I think some of these players are a little worse for wear. But they're here, they've got their kit on, they're kicking against injustice and smashing poverty right out the box. They're still 2-0 down though. Oh, but would you look at that goal! You can help change the world too. Just order your free fundraising pack at sportrelief.com. Sport Relief, it's game on. This message was brought to you by ACAST.